Hello and welcome to the Be Less Dumb podcast. It's basically me chatting to a bunch of coaches who are more intelligent than I am and work in different areas than I am used to. I'm just going to ask them a bunch of questions and try to become a little less dumb in the process. Hope you enjoy. Okay, welcome to today's podcast. In this episode, we are back with the basketball crew. Um, so like I said, each week we're going to touch on certain topics and you know, look at the issues that live in sport and then try and give some answers to the questions that they leave. Um, so quickly, just before we start again, a quick introduction back into the basketball guys. So James has his MSc in strength and conditioning and worked within the Ireland setup with an under-16 boys team. Um, Mike has his BSc and worked with me within the Irish under-17s team and is also now working on basketball Scotland um, and then Deck is just about to finish his BSc right now and has worked within two years with Basketball Island and with two different uh, underage female teams. So the thing we're going to look at today is we're going to talk about injury reduction in sport. So you hear the word injury prevention put out there a lot. Now it doesn't really exist. Um, you can you can't exactly go out flat prevent an injury, but you can look at doing things to help lower the risk of certain injuries happening. Um, so whenever you come into any new sport, you want to have a look at the kind of main injuries that you see within that sport um, and the kind of the main causes. So anecdotally and through quite pretty much all the research will tell you that, that the main injuries that you see within basketball will be ankles, knees, lower back, shoulder injuries and stuff like that. The main causes generally seem to be kind of contact with another player and landing and whether that's be kind of going for short shots um, or stuff, going for short shots or catching rebounds or layups and stuff like that. But also there's so many changes directions within the sport that does sometimes when it comes to non-contact that does also cause a lot of the injuries. So probably the most the most common injury that you'll, you'll see in basketball and you, you'll see it all the time is the ankle injury. So we're going to pass over to James first. So James, you can kind of maybe th- tell me about the common cause of ankle injury. Sure, perfect. Again, thanks for thanks for having us on here. It's uh, I look forward to this every week. It's a, it's a great thing. Um, so uh, on, yeah, so the, the ankle, you know, it's, so obviously, I think we all look at it. It's 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 extremely important. You know, it's the point of contact for uh, you know all our movements in sport, whether we're jumping, you know, we're landing or we're cutting, um, and more so, you know, it's a very complex system. You know, it's bones, uh, joints, and different muscles working together. Um, you know, they have to work together in in a, in a good fashion to help prevent the injury. Uh, the ankle also, you know, it's 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 a dual role. It's not just you know for one thing. You know, it's got to be extremely mobile. You know, if you're if you're let's say different sports, you're on different surfaces. It's got to have a lot of mobility for a cutting as well. But then, for the explosive things like a basketball, you know, it's got to be rigid as well. It's got to be a spring that has that can absorb absorb and produce a lot of forces, and it's all within the same movement. So you're landing, you got to land with mobility, but then you also have to be stiff enough to, uh, you know, to control that landing, but also and jump as well. So it's it's fine motor control, and it's all kind of, you know, it's all happening subconsciously. We're not thinking of how we're landing with the ankle, you know, it's done for us. So when we're changing direction, it's all happening subconsciously. So, uh, you know, there's a lot happening, um, especially in basketball, there's a lot happening. And it's a lot of stress on the neuromuscular system. So I think having that really finely tuned is, uh, is going to be an important thing. You know, you have to absorb, you know, store that force and then return it uh, with a high ground reaction force. And, you know, all at the same time and in the right directions, and it's all happening within a fraction of a second. So I think, uh, you know, in a chaotic environment like basketball, it's, it's no surprise that things can go wrong with this. And, you know, as Daniel, as he said there, it's, you know, ankles are the biggest biggest injury in most sports, really. But especially in basketball, you know, we're playing on a hard surface. We have so much jumps, uh, close contact with players. So I think an ankle is a, is a big one for basketball players to work on. And, um, you know, how, how it happens, you know, Generally, you know the common the common one is is the inversion. So if you're you're rolling on the outside of your ankle, um, and this is you know this is in a vulnerable position. So let's say you're you're landing, toes pointed down, the you know the ankle is loosely packed, it's stretched out, and it's it's at its weakest position. So if you land on that top of your foot or on your toes, it's going to lead to that uh, awkward landing and a roll over, or if you land on a foot as well. So uh, you know it can happen pretty easily um, during a game. Um, and even during like, you know high speed cuts or uh, late in a game when you're fatigued, it can it can happen as well. So it can happen very simply of just being unlucky landing on a foot. Nothing you can do about that. You know, if you land on someone's foot, your your ankle's going to go over. Um, or it can it can happen you know just from simple landings as well. If if there are issues in your your mobility or your landing technique or you know different strengths and weaknesses 
I say, well, not strengths, but different weaknesses in the foot and the ankle or even up the chain with the, the, the leg muscles, you know, at your groin, or your hips. So, uh, you know, a few different ways it, it, it can happen. Um, you know, with regards to just the actual cause, I think the most important thing is, is the health of the athlete and the, the, the injury history of the athlete. Um, you know, I think it's, it's interesting looking at the ankle. It, it's got a bit of a, it doesn't have the stigma of, you know, knee injuries are it's, you know, so serious and, you know, they are serious. So it's fair enough. They, they require surgery a lot of the time, but, you know, a huge factor with the ankle sprains is that one early on in your career can, you know, lead to more and that's going to, you know, end up ruining your career. You know, it can lead to you know, a full career of ankle injuries and, you know, having to stop playing. I think some studies said, you know, if, if you roll your ankle one time, there's probably 80% chance you're going to do it again. And that's, you know, that's a huge, huge thing to think of when it's the ankle. So it is, it's not seen as a, a serious injury sometimes, but, you know, it is. Um, so I think, you know, first with, with young players, I think we need to take it more seriously. I think, uh, especially for the young athletes, you know, an ankle sprain shouldn't be just come back in, you know, two weeks, three weeks of rehab. You got to really look at it and treat it a lot more, more serious. So, you know, obviously we, we, we just said there, you know, previous injury is the number one way of it happening. So I think really important is, to, you know, do prevention and also do the rehab right. Um, you know, it, it is the point of contact for all these movements in sports. So I think, you know, you want to make the foot and the ankle a real solid thing and not, not a weak link in, in, your, in your body. And two, you know, from getting these ankle injuries, you know, we know the joints work in a chain. You know, it's, it's all linked, the ankle to the knee to the hip. I think the lads are probably going to talk about that that after me. But, uh, you know, a, an ankle injury can lead to to more issues up the chain. So, you know, mobility issues in the ankle can be a huge problem for hip and knee injuries later on if, if you don't get it sorted. So those imbalances um, can develop, you know, in the foot with an ankle injury, but also in, in, the, in the hips and stuff. So let's say, you know, a loss of, you know, dorsiflexion, you know, a simple thing like that can change your running mechanics. And over time, that's going to lead to a lot more issues. So I think, you know, in general, the, the rehab philosophy needs to be, um, you know, not just quickly come back to, to training. You know, you need to, you know, get back to the highest level that you were before your injury. And that's, a, I think that's a big issue in, in Irish basketball, but, you know, even in sport as well, you know, it's the whole, you will get you back in two weeks. I think that's a, that's a huge mistake. You know, a full rehab needs to be done on these things, even a small ankle injury. You, know, you need to go to a physio, get it checked out, get working with a rehab coach or an S&C coach. Because um, you know an ankle injury can lead to you know ruining your career down the line. Yeah, and I think that's an an, an important point as well. That like, you know the ankle is obviously the, as you keep saying you know and you're dead right the point of contact with the ground, and it's um for the most part it's a mobile joint. It obviously needs to be stiff as well in certain movements. But if you do start to lack mobility, whether it be dorsiflexion, eversion, inversion of that ankle, you are going to end up compensating somewhere, and that might lead up to a, a knee injury or a hip injury or something like that. So it's a really good point to make. Um, you talked about, you know, the severity of it um, and, you know, rushing back. So give me a little bit of an idea, maybe everyone listening a little bit of the idea of maybe the length periods, the period of time that you'd be kind of sidelined. This always resonates a lot with athletes. If any athletes listening, they always want to know, you know, how long they're going to be out and how much they're going to miss. So if you can tell us a little bit about the kind of different lengths of time for like different ankle injuries and stuff like that. Yeah, sure. Um, you know, it's not going to be a, an easy answer. You know, you, I think, First thing you got to get to a physio. Um, you know, a, a, a small sprain, you know, could be something like three to five weeks if it's if it's done right. If it's you know more severe, or if it's slight tear in those ligaments, and um, you're looking at you know it could be up to three months, or it, it maybe even if it's full tear, you might need surgery, and you know that could be a season gone. So I think, um, you know, you got to get to a physio, no matter you know how severe the ankle is. I think you got to follow the the same protocol of you know get to a physio first, see what the damage is. And you know, assess from there. So really, you know, I think everyone. Well, I play basketball and round basketball. You know the the basics of that that early intervention for an acute injury, and it's going to be you know you're going to use the rice protocol. Those first few days, you really got to you know get to a physio, but also rest it. You know, ice it, compression and elevation. Um, you know, physios can help early on with you know compression stuff, with strapping or electrotherapy or um, soft tissue mobilization, just massaging it. And I think that's probably one of the key things when I was even looking up research for this is, you know, early on, you don't want to be, you don't want to just for two weeks, don't move it and, and, and keep it immobilized. Mobility is key. Um, but, you know, you know, early on, let it rest for a few days, but then once you can start moving as early as possible, 
you want to you move it in those safe planes of motion. So not you're not hurting the injury, but you know any direction you can move it outside of that is going to be huge for the, the development of the injury. Um, and then you know after that, it, it, you know there's pretty standard protocol. It's just going to be dependent on the severity of the injury. It's going to be dragged out a bit longer. So you're going to you know once you can start moving it a bit, maybe you can if, you put, if the swelling goes down and then the pain goes down a bit, you can get into a pool. You know, you can start walking on it, just just working it in ways that's going to keep it pain free, but you're still going to be um, working on the mobility and getting the movement and working on that motor pattern, so it doesn't go fully, you know, doesn't go fully dead over a few weeks. If you're off your foot for a few weeks, you know, you're going to lose a lot of that neuromuscular motor pattern. Um, and then, you know, getting onto the same stuff, you want to start strengthening it, so you can use bands, in different directions. Again, you know, stay away from the pain, but you want to work it in the other directions you can do. Um, once you're pain-free, you know, calf raises, you want to be walking in the pool a bit more. You can probably turn to some, um, you know, plyometrics, not plyometrics, but, you know, jumping in the pool, just gradually progressing the intensity um, over time. Um, I think that, that's huge. And then, you know, it, it's tests that really guide it, guide the duration of, you know, how long you're going to be at. So if you can have data, um, I think you might, or Daniel, you could talk about this a bit more, but, you know, data before the injury happened, if you have all those measurements on the athlete, you know, these are the things you want to get back to as you go through your rehab. So, you know, just, and these guide, you know, the intensity over time, you know, get your mobility back to how it was, get your stability and balance, you know, get your landing mechanics all back to the previous um, scores or also, you know, go beyond those scores, you know, get better than you were before. Because, you know, sometimes it did happen for a reason. So you want to fix the issue, the underlying issue behind that. And uh, I think this is, you know, this kind of process that you follow, it's going to be great for the athletes. You know, you're going to be ticking boxes as he or she is getting better. And it's, it's going to help with the mindset, you know, that you're not just injured. You're, you're doing something, you're working on your goals and you're getting better. You, you have a, a plan in place. So, you know, testing is, testing is huge. Um, and these can be, you know, simple tests that, you know, you probably all did with your program and, you know, we did the same ones in ours. You know, you're going to test, you know, leg uh, asymmetries of your strength, mobility, and balance. Um, you know, the balance can be the, the Y balance test. I think that's the FMS one, or there's uh, the STAR excursion balance test. There's different types of things you can be doing. Your mobility tests, you know, check your ankle, dorsiflexion with the wall test. Um, things like strength tests, single leg squat. You want to see if they're balanced on each side. Uh, and then, you know, again, to jump tests, um, single leg, you can check both of them or your landing left or right. And then you can move on to agility tests as you get back close to your sport. You know, things like lateral change of direction tests or agility tests where, you know, you can see how you are in a, in a game-like scenario. Um, so, you know, doing all those tests and having those injury val or those values beforehand is it's super important so that you can track how your rehab is going. It's not just as simple as you get an ankle sprain and, you know, oh, you're going to be back in six weeks' time. You know, you got to see how it goes. You know, every body's going to be different. Every injury is going to be different. Um, just one thing, actually, from, you know, from a, as a strength conditioning coach, you know, early on in the prehab or in, in the rehab, sorry, you can still, you know, you, you can't be running and jumping, but you can still be innovative and you can work on, you can work around the injury where you can still, let's say, do some leg exercises where you're not stressing the ankle, some leg extension stuff use bands or on machines and then also you know obviously you work in the core the upper body um you know focus on some weaknesses you have in other areas of the body you'll develop in your core or shoulder health or whatever it is and this is also you know this, this is great for the, the mental state of the athlete you know you're staying focused you're working on other goals you're not just you know sitting there waiting to to get back to back to playing um a huge thing actually is uh sorry i'm kind of going on a bit, bit too long here but a huge thing actually can be uh even in, like you, you can still work the other leg, and uh, you know you can get and it still go heavy on the other leg. You don't have to go light on one leg because your you, your your right leg is injured. You can still go heavy on it. And that can have huge things like you know a crossover effect, where you can still maintain uh, strength in the injured leg. You know you can keep away atrophy and muscle loss by just working that one side, and also even even the motor patterning. You can keep you can keep the, the neuro, neurological system working by working the other leg. And just stimulating hormones, you know, that's gonna you know be around the body. If you're if you're working hard in the other leg, that's gonna benefit or well at least help the, the rehab process. So yeah, 
lots, lots of different things you can do. And I think, and, you know, the time frame still comes down to, you know, you got to, it's case by case. Yeah. And I, I definitely like that approach of, you know, setting out little goals for your athlete. You know, um, you, know you want to make the rehab, rehab is boring. You want to make the process as, you know, <laughs> enjoyable as possible. Um, and that's, yeah, it's all, I, I couldn't, I literally couldn't agree more, mate. All oh, that sounds kind of legit and kind of similar stuff that we would do. And I think we might touch on the end of this podcast about trying to, you know, develop a, a return to play protocol and maybe like a, a training mate, a matrix for that. But I will touch on that later. So there's no point getting into too much detail on it now. Um, so we kind of, yeah, you kind of talk about the, the rehab process then. And, you know, that that's, you know, the, the one of the biggest predictors of re-injury uh, is, uh, sorry, of injury is post-injury, right? Of previous injury, sorry. Um, tell me a little bit what you do to kind of lower the risk of the injury happening, say, in the first place. Now, maybe take it from an approach that nothing's happened to this person, what the kind of stuff you'd be looking for to try and reduce the risk of an ankle injury. Yep, uh, perfect. So I think, you know, there's, there's been so much study done on, on ankle injuries over the years, um, but a few things keep, you know, do pop up of how you can minimize it and how you can, you know, help prevent against it. Um, a few simple ones, you know, right off the bat, proper footwear, you know, the, it plays a huge role in it. Um, you need support in the base of your shoe. Um, I think there's some studies actually were done that, something as simple as, you know, air bubbles in the shoe can lead to a bit more instability. So, you know, you want to, you want a shoe that's designed for the task. So don't go playing, you know, you forget your runners and just go playing in, in another pair of trainers. You, know, you, you want to have your basketball shoes. You want to be good. Do no tears in them. Um, so that's, that's gotta be a, an important thing straight away. That's, that's something that you can manage pretty easily. Um, you know, the big one is, you know, taping or supports that's, you know, instantly going to help reduce against uh, ankle injury. Um, it's proven over and over again. That's one of the best ways to do it. You know, I, I'm not a fan of it though because it's it's not it's not really practical unless you're, you know, guys in the NBA or these Division One athletes in basketball. They, they can get taped every training, every um every game. I think it's better if you are you know you have good ankle stability to work on keeping that. You know, use your your body's you know built for this job. Um, you should be able to to keep because. It, because if you if you do use supports and then one time you forget it or you don't get taped, that's when it's going to be a could lead to a big injury. So, you know, if if you do have chronic instability in the ankles, supports are you know number one thing. You probably should wear a support every time, but I think it's better to try and stay away from them if if you don't need them. Um, another one actually, you know, if just you know excess body weight on an athlete, if you uh, you know it just makes it harder for your body to control during dynamic movements. You know, extra weight's going to put an extra strain on, on balance and stability. Um, so that can be one thing for athletes. You know, that's you know that's probably a more off-season thing if you want to you know get get more muscle and just you know watch your nutrition and you know that's a basic one to to reduce injury in probably all injuries, not just ankle. Um, and then the two main ones that we talk about with ankles are, uh, you know, you got your balance training. So you know this is for rehab, but it's also for for prehab. Um, you know. Being able to balance is either truly the ankle's defense system, and it's it's a huge neurological component. Um, you know, it's a lot of small muscles working in the ankle and the foot, and up the leg as well, and the knee and hip. So we're all making these tiny decisions all the time during cuts and landings. So you know, it's it's all subconscious. So I think training the neurological system is going to be huge, and training your balance. So you know, different things like landing, or if you're you know jumping and getting hit in the air with your partner, just push you and you land on one leg. Uh, you can do all these things in training um, that are really going to help to to reduce your injury. All the things as well, like balance boards, foam mats, things your physios are going to give you, they can also be done for for prevention as well. Just getting good at standing on one leg with different stimuli, you know, whether it's passing the ball with a partner, or you can do bands where you know the bands are pulling you in a certain direction or in a chaotic direction, and uh, you know you have to balance and stabilize with that with the ankle, but with the knee and the leg muscles and the hips. Um, different things like that and then the other one is the proprioception training which is you know that's just it's just kind of a word for you know knowing your body in space you know knowing the velocity of the movements of your limbs and just being you know it's kind of it's, it's general athleticism really it's not you know, knowing your body when you're in the air and knowing what's going on with your limbs but you know you can really develop this this is very trainable um and it's all that same stuff of you know getting pushed in the air after you jump and landing on one leg, you know, knowing where the floor is just without looking down. Um, different plyometrics can be 
be hugely beneficial here. Um, you know, proprioception is, it comes from, you know, receptors in the muscles and the tendons and joints, but also, you know, your ear um, for the balance and in your eyes as well with vision. And it's, you know, your neurological system or your, your CNS puts all this together when you're doing all these movements. Um, so it's, it's fully trainable and it, it, it's not just the balance and single leg. It can come from a lot of ways. Actually, when I was thinking about this, uh, we had a we had a coach a long time ago back back in my column, and he was he was from Eastern Europe, and he used to do the craziest things with us. Um, and it was just you know he was an expert at developing athleticism, really. You know things like just throwing a ball up in the air, doing a roll, a tumble forward, and catching it again. Really random things, but it's it's just spatial awareness and working on you know knowing your body. Um, and that can be that can be huge for. For I think for especially injury prevention for uh, for ankle injuries, um, and with you know regards to doing this stuff, you know there's lots of studies showing that just five minutes a day in preseason or even you know two times a week during in season can vastly reduce ankle injuries. Just working on basic balancing stuff, basic jumping stuff, uh, proprioception things. So that kind of uh, you know that leads me on to you know when you can get this done. I think the warm up is an ideal opportunity to do this stuff, you know, instead of just going out there and messing around, throwing up shots or chatting with friends, you can get together, do five minutes of work, you know, get barefoot on the sideline, you know, work on just the strength of your, your, your foot and your, your ankle, basic lunges, uh, walking calf raises. Um, you just want to stress that foot and, uh, you know, get it fired up before you play. Cause, uh, you know, I, I always, I, I had, you know, all my career, I've suffered with right ankle injury. So I'd always, you know, just before a game, do something as simple as, you know, single leg repeat jumps, just fast, explosive jumps on one leg, just to kind of test out the ankle. It kind of gives you that confidence as well that your your, your ankle's ready to go and you're you're ready to play. Um, yeah, I think they're, you know, they're the they're the big things really, you know. You know, the, uh, and then after all that, the biggest thing is, you know, your previous injury is going to be the, the main factor of of uh, future injury in the ankle. So, you know. When you look at it that way, the simplest thing you can do is just work on the basics of strength and conditioning. You know, be involved in a long-term training plan, build your basics of strength and power, mobility, and work towards just you know keeping all injuries out of the way. You know, you want to you know keep your mobility in your ankles. General training is going to be the key. You know, sometimes it's uh, injury prevention can be you know seen as this fancy thing, but it's it can be as simple as just just the training you're doing. Um, I was actually talking to uh, a coach during the week. He's uh, Jimmy Duba. He's a he's a coach in, univer- in Division One University in uh, in Chicago with DePaul University. I just kind of wanted to ask him. I just at the end of the conversation, I wanted to see what his he works with the men's basketball there, and I wanted to see what what his answer to this would be. And I kind of knew where he'd go with it just by knowing knowing him as a coach. But it's as simple as you know the, the best injury prevention is just the basics. Get strong. You know, a, a squat is injury prevention when you do it right. You know, it's working on your mobility. It's working on the strength of your ankle, your foot. You can do things like, you know, barefoot squats or like uh, um, Bulgarian split squats with a floating heel. It's, it's just creating a strong and mobile ankle and then, you know, working up the chain as well. Strong lower body, strong hips and all that. And working on no asymmetries. That's going to be the real key to, to injury prevention, I think. Yeah. Um, to ton of information. It's, it's, all, it's, all, it's all amazing. Good job, dude. Yeah. And you're right, you know, um, you know, so many factors that affect the training that you do with someone in, in relation to maybe reducing the risk of injury. But if it's all, so let's take an example of youth sports, their training age is so young, you know, when it comes to weight training, so like more and more general approach is going to see a vast improvement anyway. So, you know, holding on to some of the, um, some of the stuff that they might need later in their career, there's no need to do it so early on. Um, another point that you picked out that, that, that you mentioned that was quite interesting and really important is that proprioception training, um, if you're dealing with youth sport, then of course you are looking at kids who, depending on the age group you're working on, that might have just been coming out of their peak height velocity. Um, so they might be, as you say, aware of their body as much around space. So that's something that can be put in and structured in very well. That will work well. So thank you for all that, mate. And um, I guess, you know, we'll, we'll move up the chain a little bit now. And I guess with, you know, ankle being the most common um, and we'd see it a lot, that the knee is the one that kind of leads to the most time loss. It's the most substantial injury if it does happen um, and, you know, you're, you're looking at putting a huge importance on making sure this doesn't happen. So I'm going to talk to Mike's going to talk a little bit about this. And I, I guess I'm going to throw this, the same kind of questions that you, Mike. Tell me a little bit about the causes yeah, of knee sure, injury. Sure. I guess if I just give a little 
kind of a general background as to kind of the stuff, how we went about trying to see if we could predict these things. So obviously I must, um, and I think you'd feel the same, must give a massive shout out to Aideen, Aideen Holland, who was our physio. Um, she had like, was a massive help to us in implementing this. So kind of play, we're looking, we spoke about it before, players kind of having high amount of workloads and kind of internal and external stresses. So I suppose it was a massive, massive um, part of our job to kind of place a big emphasis on this. And again, as you spoke about before, we were talking about um, seeing what movements and kind of planes of movement they would kind of carry out during the sport. And we were trying to prepare them for each each scenario that they might mount they kind of may encounter um again we would have like a comprehensive kind of list of each player's injury history so we could kind of get a better understanding that who may be at risk and who may have kind of be dealing with any acute or chronic issues um and then we could kind of individualize any kind of corrective exercises based off of this um again like before trainings we would just generally kind of chat the players and see kind of how they were feeling if they were dealing any with acute or kind of onset injuries um, again, by using our kind of workload sessions, it gave us a good our workload sheets. It gave us a good idea of kind of who may coming into the sessions, who may have done a lot of work during the week or that last say maybe the, if we hadn't seen them in a month, who had been doing what. Um, and it gave us a good idea of kind of to, we were able to spot any kind of potential issues before they were even like happened, and we were able to be proactive. And I suppose when we're talking about the knee, um, it's probably like. The, one of the most feared injuries and as you said before it's like it definitely depending on the type of injury it can be anywhere from two weeks to up to nine months time lost dependent so like if i just talk about for instance the acl which is like connects your thigh bone to your shin and the knee joint and it stabilizes the knee and kind of controls the back and forth motion and when that comes to basketball i mean that can be caused by a lot of different factors such as kind of sudden sudden stops changes of direction pivoting uh, with your foot kind of planted on the ground, any awkward landings, collisions with opponents as well is, is a big one. Um, most of the damage is kind of caused by forces created within the athlete's body. That's why we obviously place a, a big risk on, uh, a big kind of emphasis, sorry, on um, teaching them how to absorb these forces. Um, in basketball in particular, um, a lot of kind of in, these injuries tend to occur in the dominant leg due to the nature of kind of, of the sport. Um and kind of the high intensity physical efforts as well, kind of, and that fatigue causes may predispose, uh, kind of, may kind of lead at least to having um, a greater chance of these of these injuries. Um, and again, tendonitis of the knee tends is, is also a common issue within basketball. Kind of just again, talking about your jumping, landing, your cutting, changes of direction, the surface of the court also is is going to influence this. Um, Obviously, this tends to be, um, it can be a cause acutely or just kind of through overuse injuries. Um, in most cases, it can be treated with just your simple, your rest, resting and physio may, in more extreme cases, may need kind of injections, steroid injections, and then kind of worst case scenario would be surgery. And if I kind of go back to um, kind of knee injuries and ACL injuries, the kind of the average uh, age of first time injuries is anywhere between 16 and 24 so that's why we would place a massive emphasis on this um, there will be a higher percentage and um, in non-contact in um, injuries um, and again um, plenty there is plenty of research to suggest that females would be kind of five times more likely to stain these in these injuries um, there is kind of a lot of factors that may influence this. They, they tend to land with more kind of knee and hip flexion, which leads to kind of greater valgus collapse. Uh, muscle strength also um, and hormones can play, play a role in this. Um, common faults you kind of see are like foot, feet strike, uh, your foot striking the ground with your knee close to extension, which sends kind of massive amounts of forces up through, up through the body. Um, obviously, your your kind of poor movement and changes of direction, kind of accelerations and decelerations. Um, again, as we talk about, it's kind of a fatigue can play a big role in this. So we're talking about like injuries mostly occurring in kind of the second part of kind of training or competition, more towards the end. Um, trying to when we're trying to kind of perform these movements under under fatigue conditions. Yeah. 
Um, and you make some good points there, you know, even even as simple as the the, the first kind of area where you see ACLs producing, or sorry, the, them being between above 16 years old, we're not crazy worried about, you know, an eight-year-old going out and tearing their ACL. They don't generally, they're not generally able enough to, perforce, to produce the force they need to tear that ACL. But if you're playing, and especially in a sport like basketball where there's so many change of directions, you want to be able to, from 14, from 12, 12 years old, 14 years old, start preparing them kids to be able to absorb the force that they are going to start to be able to produce as they start hitting their peak velocity, high velocity, and they get taller and they get stronger and stuff like that. So it's all great getting kids strong, um, really good idea, but if they're not able to produce force and move well, then you might actually be hampering their chances of uh, reducing a risk of ACL. Um, so, yeah, so you go into good detail there. So maybe maybe kind of just go through some of the, the, the same questions I asked James, kind of the time period that, that you know, you might lose when it may be first all when it comes to um, yeah, I mean the ACL. Like ACL is is a tricky one, you know, because um, generally what, what kind of research would say is anywhere kind of four to nine months, but it really depends if you're going to go down the route of um, if surgery or non-surgery kind of phys- uh, physiotherapy return to play protocols. But again, you're talking anywhere when it comes to ACL, you could be talking anywhere kind of four to nine months. Um, anything. Other than that, say if you're talking about kind of less serious injuries, kind of meniscus tears and stuff, that might be anywhere kind of two, two, two weeks to eight weeks. But generally, when it comes to ACLs, you're you're talking four to nine months, and and if you don't have any complications in that, obviously it could, might lead to kind of more serious issues. Yeah, yeah. So it's like like a substantial injury. So give you an example: if you if you're if you're only on a year long Irish team and you pick up that, then you know, you, you realistically, you're not going to end up on that final 12 panel. Um, so it's a, a real importance that, you know, athletes understand the time period they might be giving up if they do get one of these injuries and that they should take all measures that they can to reduce the risk of this. Um, so that we're talking about reducing the risk of it. Tell me a little bit. I know you touched on it earlier about, you know, we, we measured workload and stuff like that. Tell me a little bit maybe around kind of the, the strength training and stuff like that that will help in preventing these injuries yeah, sure. or so, reducing um, the risk of these injuries. When it comes to kind of reducing these injuries, it is kind of important to create, uh, kind of place a greater emphasis on strength development and also kind of coordinated activation of the core. Um, obviously, yeah, you would have will probably touch on this a bit more. We had our eight stage strength progression, um, which kind of led them through kind of most foundation strength and then learning how to fo- uh, produce or sorry, um, absorb the forces of their own body weight and then building up. Um, obviously, these these strategies are kind of designed to we're, we're not going to prevent these injuries 100% but again if we can try and do everything to kind of uh, reduce the risk then we're going to take kind of a, a multi-dimensional approach um, over, overall kind of lower body strengthening is what we're looking at and again I know Declan would have touched on this kind of in our first episode I think where it's hamstring strength we're looking at more so kind of for overall strength balance um and again this can be tricky in, in our in our environment in the kind of environments we're working in so uh sprinting sprinting can be probably the our best bet for that um again introducing kind of components such as change of direction jumping landing kind of off both single and double leg acceleration kind of deceleration um again start with the foundations and building from there uh, again, we're looking at kind of introducing kind of minivan work to kind of give give them visual, visual feedback as to where their knees should be, maybe when they're jumping and landing um, proper. And then we're looking at obviously the proper mechanics when it comes to their changes of direction, deceleration, learning, kind of teaching them to learn to absorb these forces through kind of low level plyometrics and building from there. Uh, again, this can be implemented in 20 to 30 minute sessions throughout throughout the week, even we would we would have given I know you and I Danny we would have put a lot of uh, a lot of hours into designing and individual kind of giving the players individual sessions based off of the the injury history we would have had so we would have tried to uh, drill in the importance to the players of kind of doing these little twenty minute sessions even maybe like you know you can do these sessions two three times a day if you have the time but at least you're 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 doing you're being proactive in your approach uh, I think it's important to kind of um, for coaches and also parents to kind of ensure that there's kind of high compliance with these programs and that they understand that we're not just doing these to tick a box, that we're doing these to actually um, prevent kind of major issues or major injuries occurring. Um, As I spoke about, you know, first time injuries tend to occur 
um, between 16 and 24. And again, there, there's probably a likelihood that if it happens once, it's, it, it's going to happen again. Yeah, um, exactly right. You know, um, I think I think you're right. You know, you, you have to take an individualized approach to um, to the athlete to like just for a simple fact of buy-in. You know, if you tell them you've got an ankle injury, you've got a hip injury or something like that, and they go, "I'm going to give you an individualized program. I'm going to give you," it, and then they chat to each other about the program they got, and it's the exact same one. Then they're like, "Well, is he actually putting the effort in that he said he's going to put in?" You know, so if if you're gonna if you're going to preach that we want you to have a reduction in injury, you then also as a coach have to put in the time to go in and figure out exactly what you want to do and how you want to do it. Now, training age has a big impact on that. Like I said earlier, the younger the training age, the more general approach you can take, but obviously you do want to have some kind of specific stuff in there as well. So thank you for uh, going through all that. And, and, you know, we can talk about knee injuries and tendonitis to forever right there's so much to it um but we'll, we'll move on because i always feel bad that you're gonna have to go first <laughs> next time i always feel like i'm like and lastly it's gonna be deck so we're gonna <laughs> so maybe next week deck you get to go first all right um so we're, we're gonna touch on lower back injuries so once again moving back up that chain too now we've gone through ankle knee lower back um so you're gonna touch on lower back injury lower back injuries and they are they are very common um you know, especially in a sport of basketball where there's so much force production, so much force absorption on a hard court. Um, so do you want to tell me a little bit about, I know you're going to touch on shoulder injuries as well, but do you want to start with the lower back and tell me, you know, some of the causes that cause uh, yeah, this injury, perfect. I guess? Uh, thanks, Danny. Um, I suppose, first of all, um, James and Michael have covered a, a great deal of content there. And probably they, they look at the, the two main things you would focus on when you're kind of joining up or entering a team initially. Um, so I suppose when it comes to the lower backs, they are very prevalent. Um, and, you know, there, there was a Finnish study done in 2015 that actually found that overuse lower back injuries were the second most common behind knees, which was a kind of a, a telling statistic because you would generally put ankles and knees first. Uh, I know I would, and they, they'd be the kind of two areas, like you'd be looking at your jump and landing, and you'd be looking at your kind of strengthening your, the muscles around your knee to try and, you know, prevent the injuries there. Uh, but lower back injuries are, are very much prevalent, in, especially in basketball. Um, so I suppose when looking into injury reduction, well, first of all, you have to classify them. So there's, there's two types of kind of classifications. I suppose there's, there's chronic injury and there's acute injury. Now, the two boys kind of alluded to this as well. Uh, so with your chronic injury, uh, with your lower back, I suppose you're looking at poor technique in an exercise, um, which is going to kind of put an extra pressure on that lower back. And even, say, even during playing, that defensive stance. So that defensive stance, when you're down, your knees are bent, and you're kind of in that sit-down, squat, nearly position. If you're in that for a constant, you know, day in, day out, maybe an hour of training, you could be in it for half an hour of that, and you're in it day after day, well, you're going to add that stress to your lower back. Um, and the, the second one then really is that acute injury, which is like your collisions or what you mentioned before, that kind of landing on the floor. If you're, you know, going up for a layup and you might have got a, a shot or a hit uh, or an impact, and then you land kind of awkwardly on the floor. So... So, you know, chronic injury and acute injury, they're, they're both serious and they can both result in long injury layoffs. Um, so I, I, I worked with and still work with uh, female basketball players, um, as you know, and a telling stat, uh, it was published actually in 2006 for the American Journal of Sports Medicine. It showed that female athletes actually sustained 60% more injuries than their male counterparts. So when you're going in, it, it's always at the forefront of your mind that, you know, injury prevention is the most integral part of your, you know, your, your protocol. Um, so there's three major types then within that kind of lower back injury. Uh, so the most common is probably just your back sprain. So it kind of occurs when your ligaments or your muscles, they're, you know, that stabilize that lower back. They're, they're stretched beyond their limits. And because of that, they become inflamed, they become sore, and it's very hard to move and you become very rigid. Um, then second then probably to that is your stress fracture. Now, this is more probably seen as an overuse injury. So from that kind of poor technique or, you know, that defensive sense, you know, or an, an, an impact that you got that maybe could be a small injury and now you played on it and you're playing for a couple of getting worse and worse and worse. Um, and then, look, probably worst case scenario, you get something like a herniated disc um, where, you know, there's the jelly-like substance within the vertebrae leaks out and, you know, that can be catastrophic because it could, it could limit your progression, limit your actual playing career. Um, so that's why lower back is so important to get the kind of 
prevention protocols right with it because if it does go wrong, and as I think James alluded to, if it goes wrong once, it's more than likely going to happen again. So your your objective really as an SSC coach going into any program is to limit the, the possibilities of that happening. Um, so so what do we do, I suppose? Uh, and it, it is a quandary because I suppose the lower back sprains, we need to strengthen the muscles, strengthen the core, strengthen all the muscles around that back, strengthen the glutes to make sure that you know, they're stable and that they're able to resist any of that extra force that's been placed on them. Um, or withstand even the stretch as well that's been placed on them. Uh, but also with the, the likes of your stretch factor, fractures or your herniated disc, I mean, you've got to monitor and monitor the load and make sure that they've got plenty of time to recover. Um, you know, so that the, the recovery is kind of absolute before you, or if they do have a kind of a small nickel or a small strain, well, no, don't, no point actually putting them back and getting them going again, because if they're going again, then they're just going to add to it and it's going to get worse and worse and worse. Um, so in doing that, I suppose with it, with mine, and I do it in the warm-ups and I do it in my programs, um, is I, I implement exercises that is going to strengthen up that core. Um, so I start off with, you know, simple exercise like a bridge, like, a, you know, glute bridge or single leg bridge, you know, add in band resistance. Now, that, that's going to strengthen the glutes, not specifically the lower back. But what the glutes will do is they'll help support the lower back. Um, then you, you, you'll try and, you know, add in your flexibility stuff as well. Like, so you're going to, even though the, the lower back is a stable joint, you know, you still want that bit of flexibility and mobility. In there. So you'll do your, like your windmills or, you know, your world's greatest stretch and you'll add them into the warm up and they'll stay consistent through the warm up. And hopefully the players will get better and better and better and get more flexible through them. Um, and then with stretch or strengthening, then then I suppose you have your likes, the likes of your Superman or your, or your planks um, or your side planks that are going to, you know, help strengthen up the core. Um, and probably the last thing I'll always kind of get the players to do is I'll do like rotation and anti-rotation. Um, so it's kind of getting the muscles used to resisting the force to place them. So you might add in your, you know, your Russian twists or your, your pal-off press and progress them on by, say, from kneeling within within your pal-off press, say, progress it from your kneeling to your half kneeling to your standing. So you're getting that progression with them the whole time. Make sure that you're strengthening the core all the time and have that pathway for them. Um, and the second thing then, I suppose, is monitoring strategies. So first thing and initial thing everyone has to do in a kind of a program like this is make sure that you've got a good line of communication with the athletes okay? and, and, you know, the players and, and their parents as well and make sure that they are willing to tell you when they do get injured because if they're not going to tell you when they do sustain an injury, well, then you could be training them and progressing them and progressing them. And next thing you find out that they've had a back injury or back pain for the last six weeks and now it's a stress fracture, you know, and now they're out for, from anywhere from six weeks to six months. Um, so, yeah, so tracking, track the injuries, track the workload. Um, and I suppose in the basketball setup, we were very fortunate this year um, to have an app, Sorkin uh, Sports was the name of the app. And uh, it was kind of, the players could use that every day and they could input their training and wellness scores. But they could also uh, put in their injuries and what kind of injury and what type of injury and how long of a layoff they had. So we could track all that through the app. Um, so then, but also with that, we could track how they're reacting to the training that they were doing. And especially, were they doing too much training? So if they were doing six to seven days a week, there was no point in me giving them a, you know, an extensive strength and conditioning program. Uh, you know, with deadlifts and squats in it because they're just going to add to the, the overall stress that they're experiencing from training. So then you would prescribe things with, with bands, mini bands and stuff like that and get them moving, but not in a way that's going to overstress them. Um, so that's what I would do in regards to the, to the lower back. Um, and then I suppose I just wanted to kind of touch on the, the shoulders as well, a small bit. Um, the shoulders wouldn't be, you know, as prone to injury or as common an injury, I suppose, as the ankles, the knees, or the, or the lower back. Um, so, but I think it's a kind of a, a, a strength conditioning coach's job um, to preempt kind of issues that they're kind of foresee that might, might happen in the future. And I kind of see that in certain ways with the shoulders, in the same way that kind of GAA maybe had suffered it maybe 10 years ago or 15 years ago, when strength and conditioning was getting kind of coming to the forefront. Um, so, like, strength and conditioning is getting bigger and bigger within every sport. Um, and because of that, you know, athletes are getting bigger, stronger, they're getting faster. So the collisions that they would have been suffering five years ago are going to be very different than the collisions they're going to be suffering now. Because the collisions they're going to be suffering now are going to be from bigger, stronger individuals. And when they get hit, they're, they're going to know they got hit. Um, but the, the player isn't, you know, strong enough to withstand that. Um, 
their, their upper body is probably going to be the first place that gets that collision, you know, takes that collision. Um, so that's going to be, you, you may see a rise in dislocations in collarbone breaks and, and stuff like that. So the, the benefit of strength training through that is that not only will it make them stronger and more resistance to that injury, but it, it, it's going to strengthen the muscles and it's going to strengthen, um, it's going to increase the bone mineral density. So the bones are going to get bigger and stronger. So that means it's going to take a lot more to break them. It's going to give that extra bit of protection. Uh, so just a few things that I, I like to implement into my programs that kind of help strengthen up the shoulder and around the shoulder are, you know, kind of band exercises. So shoulder rotations with a band resistance or kind of shoulder pulses with a mini band or even, you know, band pull aparts and stuff like that. They're kind of targeting the shoulders in particular because there's a, there's a lot of muscles around that shoulder joint and they all need to be kind of uh, worked individually. But I suppose you, you'll find as well like that push-ups and plank variations will, will strengthen that shoulder as well in, in some way small classic um so that's really what i do um you know i, I would agree like that the, the knee and ankle are probably more prominent injuries um but i suppose the strength and condition coaches you, you try to take a holistic approach um so you try to kind of kind of touch on every area and reduce the risk um as much as possible you know because at the end of the day and we touched on this in the first episode it's like keeping the player on the floor is the most important thing so your job as a strength and condition coach is keep that player on the floor because they can keep progressing when they're on the floor. When they're off the floor, they're in trouble, you know, because they're not playing any sports. And uh, that's the worst thing you can have, you know, happen to an athlete. Yeah, um, exactly right. Um, and exactly, taking a holistic approach is, is really important. And, you know, just even thinking about the game of basketball, the amount of, you know, overhead flexion of the shoulder or shoulder flexion, that there is in rebounding, layups, stuff like that. Good shoulder health is of crucial importance. Um, obviously, it's played very much in, a, in an anterior kind of, you're always pushing forward with the ball and stuff like that. So you are going to have that slight rotation of shoulders. So increasing shoulder mobility and the ability to be strong in shoulder flexion is really going to help you on the court when it comes to being strong in rebounds, when hitting layups and stuff like that. So yeah, I mean, the shoulder is actually probably a, a higher of higher importance than most people think. Um, I know definitely... When it came to mobility, definitely informed a lot of my training when we were, say, at in you know international camps and stuff like that. When it came to mobility work, so yeah, thank you for that, mate. Um, so just kind of like last day, we did I did the kind of five phase approach on speed. Today, I'm kind of give um I'm gonna gonna give a give an overview maybe of what I recommend as like a pathway for people to try to reduce injuries. Um, and I kind of touch on some of the scenarios that we use and stuff like that. Before I do that, does anyone have anything they want to touch on? <clears throat> I think just something Declan was saying there that's that's super important for this whole conversation on injury reduction was uh, I think you were talking about the lower back pain and how you know you can start off with glute bridges and or even though the glutes aren't fully involved well they don't look like they're involved you know that that they take their weight away from or the pressure that's being put in the lower back by strengthening your glutes and I think that's such a, a huge point for all this because you know it's it's you need to look at it globally. Um, you know, an, a small injury somewhere is going to, you know, it's going to have ramifications up the body or a weak muscle somewhere on one side of the body is going to affect the other side. I think it's such an important concept to get athletes to think about. The amount of times I, I tell young athletes that, you know, they have terrible calf dorsiflexion and, you know, I'm like stressing that please start stretching this because, you know, it's going to affect your knees, your hips. And, you know, it's hard to get that across to them, but it's, it's, it's also so important. So if anyone listening, young athletes, Work on the simple things, you know, get the mobility right, uh, total over your total body because a small thing somewhere is going to affect somewhere else, guaranteed. Yeah, it's, def it's definitely a chain, right? Um, yeah, Mike good. Deck, is there anything? Yeah, I won't add it to that in the later then. Okay, okay, perfect, perfect. Okay, so. I, I did I did a, a did podcast the other day, and I'm sorry if anyone heard this and that. It's going to be pretty similar when we talked about injury reduction. Um, but I'm going to basically run through what we've done, uh, how we've done it, and I'm going to refer back to a lot of the stuff you guys already touched on. Um, and I've, I've always got a, a very kind of simple approach to this. I think if a strength coach and a, a performance setup really care about their athletes, then you will see a reduction in injury. And, and I'll tell you why, because you'll go – the extra mile you'll do something that you know you, you'll go and put in place programs and strategies that are going to re help reduce it if you don't care and you'll see like if you give a one-size-fits-all program then that's that's up to you but you're probably not going to have a whole reduction injury so the first thing i would say is always make sure that you care for your athletes 
And the second thing, I, I have a lot of conversations with strength coaches and we talk about injury reduction. And I always, the first question I ask them is they tell me about an injury that happened to one of their players in season. And I was like, is that the first time that injury has happened or has it happened before? And they say, I don't know. Then you're at, you're at, you're behind the eight ball straight away. So the first thing you want to do, and Mike touched on it, is get in there and get yourself a list of injuries. Previous behavior predicts, predicts sorry, future behavior. And that's kind of never as true when it comes to injury. Um, like like uh, James touched on earlier, 80 more, 80% more likely to re-injure your ankle. So if you don't get a list of injuries, then you really don't have a, a, a good starting point. Of course, you can understand the most common injuries within the sport, most common causes of it, and, you know, touch on, I work mostly in female sports, so the high, high likelihood of an ACL in, in you know, comparison to boys and stuff like that. That all gives you great information, but that's just for the sport. We're not dealing with the sport, we're dealing with the athlete. So get yourself a list of injuries and, you know, if you go in the first day of a team and get a list of injuries and it takes you two weeks to get that list, it's not the biggest issue in the world because realistically for the first couple of weeks of pre-season or anything, it's probably going to be a, an AA phase or the first time you meet in a program with kids or something like that. So you're going to be doing that AA phase at the start anyway. So it gives you enough time to get their injuries, get an understanding of their injuries and then kind of program from then on. So once you have the injuries, um, a, really, a really crucial aspect of it is, you know, not just seeing what happened and find out how long they were out for, but trying to figure out how it happened. Um, and the best way to do that is to talk to them, talk to the players. Um, now, it works well. It's an easy enough one to say for an international setup because I would have, you know, I train them for an hour in the morning, then I might have five more hours to talk to them during the day. Um, and that's not always the case. But you, if you're working in a senior setup, then you have access to email. Try to find out a little bit more about each injury and just tell them why you're doing it. Tell them, look, you know, this happens a bit. So if it's happened to you before, I want to find out how it happened and how I can try to help reduce, reduce the risk of it happening again. Um, a big role, and it's kind of, I think, uh, James touched on it a little bit earlier, is the role of a physio. So I have this, um, you know, the role of physio is one of the most underused aspects of training. And, and Mike touched on it a little bit as well. We had Aideen Holland on our Irish team, and she was amazing, and we used her to quite a decent extent. Physios have this idea, and I'm not shitting on physios, but they have this idea in their head that they're a reactive rather than proactive approach. So someone goes down, they run out, make sure they're okay. If their ankle needs to be strapped, they'll strap it. If they have a concussion, they'll bring them off, stuff like that. That's great. That's, I, I, you know, I, I agree it's a big part of their job, but to me, that's only like half of their job. Um, the other half should be in implementing the programming with the S&C coach, um, giving a deeper understanding of certain injuries that you know the S&C coach might not be up to date with or might not have as much experience with. You know, um, So if you can get a physio that's really on board, then you're going to have a better program. If you can't, then okay, it's gonna it's gonna struggle a little bit. Um, so I give you an example. You know, I always use the example of a head coach and a skills coach. You know, communicating about doing something in a game, and then it working off, and then being really happy, or the opposite, then not communicating something, and then it happens, and then being unhappy. You know, if you don't chat about something and it, and it happens in a game, and you go, okay, we'll fix that next time, no problem. Okay, fine. Well, could you maybe reduce the risk of it happening if you talked about it beforehand? Yes. So why would you not take the same approach when you're on a performance crew? whether that be the nutritionist, whether that be the physio and the SNC. Um, and I tell you, losing, losing you know, a play going wrong in a game, fair enough, you might lose two points or three points or whatever. Getting it wrong when it comes to an injury might leave that player being out for multiple months. So it's important that you have a good communication with your physio and get them on board to what their job or what you believe their job is and then they, what they believe your job is um, and maybe take a more proactive approach rather than reactive. <clears throat> so... You know, if you don't give you an example, right, we touched on tendonitis a little bit. If you don't have an example or any information on the fact that they've been suffering with tendonitis, then you don't know what, how that's going to influence your programming. So I'll give you a very basic example. You know, if you have tendonitis, you're probably going to reduce the range of motion in their squats, work on their hip work, their glute work, their, you know, single leg work, their, their hip hinging, their hip thrusting, um, maybe some hip flexor work, and also that kind of in, intrinsic foot control. And now, even going back to what Jane said earlier about the, the ankle being the point of contact with the ground, something I've always put in place of all my programs, whether it be senior, whether it be junior, whether it be eight months, two weeks, whatever, that they would do some kind of footwork every single day. They would do some intrinsic foot control, whether that be short foot in active arching, all that kind of stuff. Just to give you a, a better understanding, first of all, how to control the foot. And also, as, as we talked about once again, it being that contact with the ground and that bottom link to any kind of injury. Um, so that gives you an idea of why getting, why getting an injury history is so important. Um, and that probably is the most important thing, I think, first, and that implements everything you do. So if you don't have a list of injuries, once again, you're behind the eight ball straight away.
The second most important thing is, and we touched, I think, I'm not sure, was it James or was it Mike who touched on it a little bit, the monitoring strategies. You want to have some aspect of knowing how much they're doing, how much they need to be doing, how much is too much, how much is not enough, right? So most programs aren't funded. And I know Deck talked about there about having a training app, um, which is great. If you can get a free training app, that's amazing. In my first Irish program, we had one and then the company folded. So we had to bring it back a little bit. They're not usually cost a little bit of money. Getting Just getting a basic idea of how many times a week they're training, how long each session is and how hard each session is, is going to give you an abundance of information. Now we use something very simple called a session log. I know Mike touched on it a little bit, which is basically their session length and session RPE. Um, so I'd find that out each week from them. They would send it in. I would build up a score, a workload score using an acute to chronic ratio, which is just basically a four week rolling average. There's loads of research on it. Is it the most accurate thing in the world? Not really. Does it work if you're in a low budget program? It definitely helps. Um, we would try to gain, you know, keep it within keep it within certain ranges that we found were appropriate or research was appropriate and try to work it from there. Um, a big thing, especially if you're in an Irish set, a, a big thing that, you know, we don't touch on is that we're, we're looking as S&C coaches working with physios, working with team nutritionists, is trying to reduce the risk of injuries. But if you look at the way most island setups are, it could be a one or two day camp that are maybe six to eight hours a day of training. That's probably going to be, well, that's definitely going to be the biggest factor in increasing the risk of injury. So I'll give you an example, if they play Monday, Tuesday, take Wednesday off, Thursday, Friday, they might have required maybe eight, nine hours of training during a week. And all of a sudden we're asking them to do somewhere between six and 12 hours on a weekend. Well, that's probably where you're going to pick up your soft tissue injury. If not then, then possibly in the week leading after it. So that's where the monitoring strategies come into their own a little bit. You want to have an idea of how much they've been doing, how much they've done, sorry, how much they've been doing and how much they're going to do over the next couple of weeks and try to tailor it where, where you can. And that doesn't have to be a big approach. That might just be saying to the head coach before training, look, she hasn't done a whole lot of work over the last three or four weeks. Maybe where possible, either even something simple as pitter in plays that are you know less fatiguing or pillow of a better team where she hasn't got work maybe as hard and stuff like that and kind of working around that kind of stuff. It doesn't always have to be such a structured approach where, okay, she played this many minutes, grab her out, bring her in this, you know, maybe, maybe pit her, you know, for the last hour, make her in a shoot and drill that's very static and stuff like that with a skill approach. There's loads of things you can do. Um, and that's what you want to look at when it comes to the monitoring strategies. Uh, we use, like I said, a, a session log. Um, I know DEC uses a training app. And I know the under 16 girls team this year or last year were developing a training app. That might be the one DEC uses, actually. Um, and then the final thing that we done, and I think this is, you know, you know, it's, it's important that, you know, you, you have recovery strategies in place and it's probably a whole different, uh, a monitoring recovery is probably a whole different podcast for itself. But I, I made up um, with the team nutritionists and team psychologists, just a very simple recovery template. Uh, we had like a hundred point recovery system where we, I sat down with this, the psychologist and he kind of showed me how I should word it. And um, the team nutritionist put in her aspects of what she thought was important uh, for recovery and based on nutrition. And I felt what I thought was important for, you know, whether it be their strength training sessions or whatever. And we equaled out points. They would then fill this out, you know, maybe once a week, maybe once every two weeks and they would send it back in. Some kids like that, some kids don't like that. And really what you're looking for there is just have an idea of what kind of recovery strategies they're doing, um, whether they like the recovery strategies, whether you need to change them up a little bit for them, or whether they whether they um, are working really well. And that's gonna get all give you an abundance of information then and that implements the second phase of your programming, right? So the first phase is very much implemented of finding out their previous history. Um, and then the second phase and the rest of the phases obviously include their previous history as the biggest part, but. You want to figure out what they've been doing, what they're going to do, how they're feeling psychologically. Are they recovering well? Um, and that's pretty much it, mate. Um, that's the kind of approach we took. Now, the, the, the strength training itself, like Mike touched on the eight-phase approach, that's probably for a whole different podcast again. Um, and that's probably what we might do in the coming weeks. When it comes to really what I think the biggest aspect of that's missing, and maybe we can talk about this a little bit, and maybe even develop one, is like a training matrix return to play. Um, now we, we talk about having them monitoring their workload and having workload and trying to build it up and taper it and manipulate it to make sure they don't get injured. But when they do get injured, it's important that when they're coming back and I know, uh, James talked about it a little bit, setting targets and stuff like that, but having some concrete targets for each player is really important. And I think having some concrete targets for the sport is pretty important, you know, change directions, um, a return to play protocol. 
and that's kind of what's missing at every level. Um, we would try to implement some of it, but it, it's very difficult. You know, um, you're only seeing them, you, you're really basing it on the club coaches or someone being with them and being able to enforce it. But it wouldn't be the worst idea in having something set out for, you know, strength, uh, speed, change of direction, stuff like that, plyometrics, and building the program back up again anyway. Um, anyone have any questions, any of that kind of stuff? Uh, just one thing on how, how did you find the, I guess, either, I know, Michael or Daniel, just with the team, like the buy in of that communication where you're, you're telling an athlete, you know, we've seen you've trained all week and, and you know, they've traveled, you know, it could be three hours train, train or bus to, to go train and you, you tell them, you know, you might need to sit out a bit. How do, how, do, how do you approach that with an athlete or a coach? And, you know, did you find it hard within the program to get an athlete to sit out or, or how did it work? Yeah, I don't mind. I mean, for, for me, I'm only talking about my own experiences. But uh, I mean, Mike, do you want to take this or do you want me to? You would have done a good job on this, Danny, is educating the players and they understood. And a lot of times, um, even what you touched on before, we were just talking to players beforehand. You get a good gauge of how they're feeling. So if they felt like they, they, they kind of came into kind of understanding their own bodies and how they were feeling, and for me, it was just a case of, again, educating them, um, them kind of understanding their own bodies. And again, if they if they, they would be honest with you, like, and they would they would tell you how they're feeling. And then you were just trying to adjust, adjust the training sessions for that day. Just keep a, kind of keep an eye on them. And um, if they needed to pull them out and do some other extra bits. Yeah, it's got to, it's, it's got to be hard though, right? I guess, like, yeah. even like with a, yeah. I guess in an Irish panel, when there's cuts and stuff, I know I've, I've myself trained. I, if I was told you have to sit out with a cut coming in two weeks, it's, it's going to be hard to take that. But I guess, yeah, it's the communica- communication key. Yeah. I mean, and it, it goes back to what you were saying earlier. It, it, you know, it all revolves around everything. Everything has the same progression, right? You know, you were talking about not having a mobile active or a mobile, sorry, an immobile ankle for the whole yeah. time your ankles hurt, you know? doesn't mean they're going to be stilling out. It just means you find different ways of manipulating their workload. Um, but yeah, and, and Mike touched on it a little bit is the education of it all. Um, so you, you might, you know, I mean, you might know that, and I'll give you an example. You might know that there's like a super intensive drill coming up right now. So you might get the physio to go, hey, I just want to have a quick look at your, your calf. And, just, and then the physio can have them for that 10, 15 minute part where, yeah. so they're not doing that super intensive drill. It's all about finding little strategies about them knowing that that's why, I mean, of course, Communication is really important, but like you say, they're, they're international athletes. They do have that kind of, for the most part, they have that drill, that kind of work drive, or sorry, drive to work. They want to do well. They're scared of a cut and stuff like that. When it comes to buy-in, um, you know, no one cares how much you know until they know how much you care, right? So once you develop, and it might touch on it a little bit, kind of educating them why you're doing it and why you think it's important. And I've always had the kind of same approach to, to especially even an Irish setup. You want to get to the Europeans and you want to be able to play for as many minutes as possible and not pick up any acute injuries um, to pick your best face forward. You know, you want to be sitting there on the bench because you weren't able to last, net maybe down to the conditioning work, but you, might, you definitely don't want to miss games because you pick up an acute injury. So if I'm telling you right now, I've got your, your you know, your, your, best interests at heart that maybe it's just important that you don't do this because you have done this, this, and this. And if you have the workload data, mate, then you can kind of, if they ask any more questions and they throw up some hesitation towards it, go, look, this is what you usually do. This is what we're doing today. This is the average workload we might end up using. You're not quite ready for that. If you don't have that data, well, you can't, for one, you probably can't convince a head coach. Um, now, to be honest, I've always been very lucky working with Carl. I've never really had to convince him of too much. He's always been very willing and open to understanding it. Um, not all coaches are. Uh, but, you know, if you can't convince the head coach and the physio to get on board, it's going to be very hard to convince a player to get on board. Um, so it all becomes from that kind of culture of the setup. But, yeah, it's all about, you know, telling them why, educating them, tricking them. And sometimes, you know, you know, you might go and do a shooting drill with, with, a, with the skills coach instead of why, why they're working on certain plays. And that's where it kind of, having communication with all the coaches works well. Yeah, but that's, that's I hope that answers the question. Um, you got any, anyone else got any other questions when it kind of comes to that? No, no, I think that's good. We, co- we covered a lot of content there, yeah. So. Um, okay, okay. So uh, anyone want to touch on anything before we finish up? Um, or, or are we good to kind of wrap this up? We've, we've gone on there. 
Yeah. Might have to leave some for the. You could be in fairness, we, we have covered a lot of content, yeah. And I, I think if we were to go on so any, any further, we could see ourselves breaking yeah, into different yeah. aspects of it, which I think we probably want, are going to cover in weeks' time, like, like your strength training and stuff like that. So, yeah, I think we definitely yeah. covered a fair, fair chunk there. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, I, I agree. I mean, I think strength training is, is obviously a whole podcast in its own and stuff like that. Um, but yeah, definitely. And I, I think a kind of a, a leaving point is that, you know, I would like at some point for us to maybe sit down and try to develop, develop some kind of return to play matrix that can be implemented. The only problem with developing it right now is that we really want to be filming it to give the best example of it. And we're all stuck in our homes. So it's probably if we can maybe if we can maybe put together a, an idea for it and then film it all when it's all opened up again, it wouldn't be the worst idea. Um, OK, so once again, we'll, we'll, as always, I'll give everyone a quick chance to plug their stuff. So we'll go to the normal order and then we'll change up the order next week so that because they get to go first. So so so, James, if you want to. Yeah, just, plug where uh, people can find yeah, you on Instagram. Instagram really, uh, athlete development uh, WNM. Um, and I'll try this week to put up some of the, the stuff I've been talking about in this with, with regards to the balance training and proprioception stuff of how you can help prevent against the ankle injuries. Yeah, so I'm the same, just, just Mike Stack on Instagram. And again, yeah, if anybody then, Mike has any questions on the stuff we kind of touched on today, then be more than willing to, to give some answers if I can't. Yeah, so it's it's Declan um, on Instagram is, is the best place to find Finally, you probably won't have much up this week, but next week I, I should be finished all my exams, so there'll be a fair bit of a content coming at that stage. But yeah, you can reach me there if you, again if you have any questions. Just yeah, Declan Berry on Instagram. Perfect, perfect. Um, okay, so yeah, so we'll, we'll have a chat as always. Um, there's a few more topics we want to talk about, deceleration, uh, strength. We might even go into monitoring recovery strategies. Might go talk about how we should, might think about structuring a European Championship week or two weeks, and then might talk about tapering and peaking leading up to this. There's loads more topics I want to touch on with you guys. Um, so Cheers. once again, thank Thanks, you for today. Um, See you later. I'll talk to Okay, thank you for listening to that podcast. Um, as always, super stuff from the guys. Really, really did a good job of breaking down each injury and the things that they would do to prevent them, try lower the risk of them, sorry. Um, so yeah, over the next couple of weeks, we're gonna have, like I said, Miss Taylor Rose, Taylor O'Donnell's gonna come on and chat. We're gonna have Cormac Walsh to come on and talk about endurance sports. Kiri Langford is gonna come on and we're gonna have a chat about her experiences at um, the Canadian Institute of Sport out here in Ontario. Uh, who else we have Rafi's going to come on he's an athletic therapist out here in Ontario and he's going to have a chat with us as well so thank you for listening and enjoy